the Son, therefore, shall make you free. He shall be free indeed. We'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for January 22nd, 2012. And today we have quite an extensive study, just a mixed bag of current events, health alerts, things of this nature. There's just so many things breaking on a weekly basis that uh, just Satan's devices that we, we need to be made aware of. Uh, this particular teaching is going to be a, a kind of a compilation of a lot of different things that we'll be looking at. Uh, really too many things to even list. Uh, it's about a 29-page study. It's going to take quite a while to get through all of this, this information. We're going to be playing a lot of sound clips today as well to kind of cross-confirm what we're talking about. So we'll go ahead and just get right into the study today. And as we usually do, I'll be interspersing, trying to intersperse a lot of Bible in to the actual study, too, to confirm what we're saying. First article is entitled, Ex-Israeli Intelligent Officer for Pearl Harbor-Style Attack Will Be Pretext for War on Iran. First couple of topics we're talking about really has a lot to do with tactics that the government not just our government, but in particularly the American government has has used on its citizens really for decades. And these are things that most people are not aware of at all. And yet, if people were aware of them, it would really change their worldview on how they look at things, on the motivation behind what you see the mass media feeding us. And we would under, have a much better understanding of what's really going on and, and what could be the true motivations behind things. So this starts out by saying, former Israeli intelligence, intelligence officer Avi Perry writes that a, quote, surprise Pearl Harbor-style Iranian attack on an American warship in the Persian Gulf will provide the pretext for the U.S. to launch an all-out warfare against Iran. Given the fact that former Vice President Dick Cheney's office openly considered staging a false flag attack on a U.S. vessel in the Persian Gulf to blame it on Iran as a pretext for war, Perry's summation of how 2012 will will see a new war cannot be taken lightly. So we have to understand that wars in and of themselves, particularly wars in the last hundred years, uh, not to say before that didn't occur, are contrived. Most of the time, there's a lot of people that stand to benefit from the war machine. And we're going to be looking at that in this first article here. Iran, just like Nazi Germany in the 1940s, will take the initiative and, quote, help the U.S. president and the American public make up their mind by making the first move, by attacking a U.S. aircraft carrier in the Persian Gulf. Now, just as a another matter-of-fact thing here, a coincidence... Uh, just today, I saw this report. Uh, United States has dispatched the USS Enterprise to the Persian Gulf in an escalation of tensions with Iran. Now, there's already warships there, but this is just one more. Uh, Defense Secretary Leon Panetta visited the ship on Sunday and said the carrier is all about keeping the Strait of Hormuz open. So, there's another American warship in there in the Straits of Hormuz that could potentially be attacked right now. 
The Iranian attack on American military vessel will serve as a justification and a pretext for a retaliatory move by the U.S. military against the Iranian regime. The target would not be Iran's nuclear facilities initially. The U.S. would retaliate by attacking Iran's navy, their military installations, missile silos, airfields. Well, that's what they're saying. I mean, that's their opinion, at least. Uh, the U.S. would target Iran's ability to retaliate and to close down the Strait of Hormuz, which has a lot to do with oil coming in and out of the Strait of Hormuz, or actually out of. Okay, so the U.S. would then follow by targeting the regime itself. El- elimination of Iran's nuclear facilities, with a question mark, they're saying yes. This would be this part would turn out to be the final act in the grand finale. Perry's use of quotation marks around the word surprise comes across as a literary device to imply that the so-called, quote, surprise attack will not be a surprise at all. Of course, the Pearl Harbor attack, which provided the pretext for America's formal entry into World War II, was not a surprise by any means. It was known well ahead of time. Now, most people don't know that. And I can remember an evangelist that was at this um, independent fundamental Baptist church I was at a long time ago. He came in and he actually had a a picture of the newspaper, like the Honolulu whatever Times or whatever. Like it was like a week before um, Pearl Harbor attack, or two weeks, or something like that. And it was like attack is imminent. I mean, it was right on the their newspaper, and it was well known. And then we act like we had no clue and this and that, and uh, that's not the fact at all. Released Freedom of Information Act files prove that weeks before the December 7th attack by the Japanese, the United States Navy had intercepted 83 messages from Admiral Yamamoto, which gave them details of precisely when and where the attack would take place. So, I mean, the fact that, you know, we we were supposedly caught totally flat-footed and mounted almost very, very, very minimal defense against the, the Pearl Harbor. Didn't have any of our planes scrambled. Um, had the planes basically um, in formations where they were stacked nose-to-nose on the airfield, so it would be much easier to bomb. Uh, I mean, you could go on and on and on. The, the warships weren't, I mean, it was an absolute total devastation. And, and what it did is it, is it so incensed the American public that it was a absolute, nobody was going to be arguing about going into World War II when we had that type of dynamic taking place. Yet, we knew about it weeks ahead of time and had intercepted 83 messages from Admiral Yamamoto, the Japanese uh, fleet commander, I believe, for their, for their uh, warships, and gave details precisely of when and where the attack would take place. I mean... <laughs> But again, is this in our history books anywhere? No, no, it's not. But is this kind of a major issue? I mean, if they did it there, have they done it before? Have they done it previously? Have they done it after that? Is this the way, in fact, that they, quote, they, do things? It is. And this is what, you have to look at things through different colored lenses when you start seeing history this way. It's not just like, black and white really anymore regarding these matters. It's not like sis, boom, ba, rah, 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 let's go, you know, get behind the, the uh, war effort and all, all these things. What are, we knew about this way ahead of time. 83 messages were intercepted 
What was the motivation here? You know, the wars was the most profitable possible thing on the planet for the people that supply the war effort. That quote that I had read recently that, you know, these people that basically high-level Illuminati say we make more money off one day of war than a whole year of peace. Well, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not only that, they view the people, they they view the men that they're sending to war to die, men and women, as chattel. Cattle. They're expendable. They are literally... These people are Luciferians. They worship Lucifer. They are high-level, generational, bloodline Luciferians. This is how they practice their religion. They view these people dying in war, no matter how noble um, that maybe these people might feel going to war, no matter how noble maybe their intentions are to go fight for their country and protect their country and their family, that's irrelevant to the people sending them, though. I'm not taking away anything that, that somebody is brave enough to go and do that. Okay, I'm not taking away that at all. I have a huge soft spot for, for veterans and these types of people. But I'm just saying you need to have the big picture as well. And they view them, their deaths, their misery, their suffering, as sacrifices to Satan. That's how they practice their religion. So, we knew about this weeks ahead of time. 83 messages intercepted from Admiral Yamamoto that the Pearl Harbor attack would take place. It's also completely nonsensical that Iran would seek, actively seek to provide the world's preeminent nuclear superpower with an easy excuse to justify an attack by deliberately targeting U.S. warships in the Persian Gulf. Perry's article seems to be a tongue-in-cheek admission that the U.S. will manufacture such an attack. This presumption need not delve into the murky realm of conspiracy theories. Now, and, and again, when this this thing is manufactured, whether it's whether it is manufactured or whether we just provoke them to the point where they feel as though they have no choice, I've stated before, Ahmadinejad, Ayatollah Khomeini, these types of people at the head of the Iranian regimes believe that in order for their awaited savior, who they refer to as the twelfth Imam or Imam Mahdi, to come, that there has, he can only come through much bloodshed and death. So they view, they're viewing this, uh, and this is where people like Alex Jones, I, I really think, fall on their face, or people that are just almost wholeheartedly pro-Muslim, pro-Palestinian, whatever you want to call them. They view it as like, okay, they're basically good people the Muslims in these, and we're just over there trying to provoke them like a hornet's nest. We are over there trying to provoke them, true. But let's get the big picture as well. Let's not, I mean, their Quran, their holy writings state that their stated goal is to kill and slay the infidels. Infidels are non-believers in Islam. That's what their holy, unholy writings tell them and mandate them to do through jihad, which is holy war. So let's not act as though that doesn't exist, because it does. So, in other words, the stage is already set. They want to kill us. Their holy writings tell them to kill us. And yes, we're giving them a lot of reason to want to kill us. 
You go over there, you use depleted uranium, and in, in, in you tip the ballistics with depleted uranium, which, you know, is, is uh, a radiation that takes literally millions of years to dissipate. All kind of horrific birth defects being the, with the children being born over there, people dying of cancer. All of the, the horrors and atrocities that, you know, the military uh, industrial complex has brought to that region. You just want to know more about that, just uh, go in and key in the uh, video Beyond Treason. It's about, uh, I believe, the, um, well, it's about the Middle Eastern wars we've been involved with. And all of our veterans coming back and how they have these horrific uh, mental and physical problems from the depleted uranium. And that's just one of the things. They're also vaccinating them to the gills with all kind of experimental garbage. And they've self-admitted that you have no right to even know what's in the vaccines you receive in the military. Uh, Bill Clinton actually passed an executive order. Uh, regarding that, a long time ago. There, there's a lot of different reasons the troops are coming back beyond damaged. Mentally, physically, spiritually, the whole nine yards. Um, and we're and, and the people that they're interacting with are also being damaged. So we've done a lot to provoke the situation as well. I mean, we're over there guarding the literal opium that's coming out of Afghanistan. I mean, we've <laughs> seen videos where they're actually got military guys on site guarding the opium. Because we're, the, the, the world governments are the biggest runners of drugs on the planet. That's why they're guarding it. And when they say, well, why are you doing this? Well, if we didn't, they, they would have no source of income was the, was the reason that this, I think it was a colonel they were interviewing. Gave. I mean, it's just insanity. And yet, this doesn't make mainstream news. But it was on the news, if you search hard enough for it. So, it's, it's about control, making money, acquisition of oil rights, acquisition of, in this case, you know, the poppy plant, which is where we get the opium from. Uh, You know, you could go on and on and on. There's all kinds of hidden agendas constantly. But we're not getting the truth in mainstream media is the point I'm trying to make here. So, uh, let's see here. The presumption need not delve into the murky realm of conspiracy theories. History tells us that fake naval attacks have been staged on numerous occasions to hoodwink the American people into supporting wars of aggression. Remember the Maine. The battleship USS Maine blew up while it was stationed in the Havana Harbor in February of 1898. Havana, Cuba. Although a Navy investigation could not find the cause of the explosion, the American media, led by the pioneer of yellow journalism, William Randolph Hearst, who was the same guy that was told to, quote, puff Billy Graham, when Billy Graham, I believe, agreed to go to their agenda, and I've done a whole teaching on Billy Graham, I'll get into later, but uh, William Randolph, her same guy, immediately blamed Spanish saboteurs, whipping the public into war fever, when Hearst sent his reporter, Frederick Remington, to investigate, little of note could be established about the disaster. When Remington asked to be recalled, Hearst told him, please remain, you furnish the pictures, I'll furnish the war. William Randolph Hearst was under orders from his higher-ups in order to facilitate and whip the public up into a froth and fervor so that they would get on the war bandwagon. And this is how virtually all wars are created. I mean, in any recent memory, at least. Hundreds of editorials demanded that the Maine and the American... Uh, Honor be avenged. Many Americans agreed. Soon a rallying cry could be heard everywhere in the papers, on the streets, in the halls of Congress, which was, quote, remember the Maine. To 
H-E-L-L with Spain. End of quote. That was the, that was the thing. Even though, <laughs> obviously, uh, we contrived this event. As a result of the incident that many considered it to be either an accident or a deliberate false flag attack by the U.S. on its own ship, the U.S. was at war with Spain within months. Over 60 years later, another staged naval event, the Gulf of Tonkin incident, was used as a pretext for the United States to launch the Vietnam War. President Johnson told the American public that North Vietnamese torpedo boats launched a, quote, unprovoked attack against a U.S. destroyer on, quote, routine patrol in the Tonkin Gulf. Leaked cables and recordings of the White House telephone conversations later proved that the incident was completely manufactured and that our, quote, destroyers were just shooting at phantom targets. There were no PT boats there. End of quote. They were just shooting at phantom targets. It was all a total lie. This was according to Navy Squadron Commander James Stockdale, who was flying over the scene that very night. Oh, so that got us into Vietnam. <laughs> I mean, that gigantic, drawn-out debacle. There was almost a 21st century version mirror of the Gulf of Tonkin incident in January 2008 when the U.S. government announced that it had been moments away from opening fire on a boat of Iranian patrol boats in the Strait of Hormuz. And this was back in 2008. After the boats allegedly broadcast a warning that they were about to attack a U.S. vessel. The Iranian warning later turned out to be of dubious origin. But the incident led to a discussion... In, uh, with Vice President Dick Cheney, one of the most evil men that's ever lived on the planet, about how to start a war with Iran by launching a false flag attack at sea. According to Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Seymour Hersh, um, in January 2008, the Strait of Hormuz incident taught Cheney and other administration insiders that, quote, if you get the right incident, the American public will support it. End of quote. Uh, Hirsch then said, the Seymour Hirsch Pulitzer Prize winning journalist said, quote, there was a dozen ideas proffered about how to trigger a war. The one that inter interested me most was why don't we build our own, sh why don't we build, we in our own shipyard, build four or five boats that look like Iranian PT boats, put Navy SEALs on them with lots of arms, and next time one of our boats goes to the Strait of Hormuz, start a shoot up. Might cost some lives, end of quote. So yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds like a great idea, right? Just put some Navy SEALs, we'll, we'll make up our own Iranian PT boats, and we'll, we'll act as though they attacked us, and we'll have provocation, and then we can do what we do. Given the dangerous nature of overlapping Iranian and U.S.-Israeli naval drills set to take place in the same region at some point, uh, I think we have canceled... Those, though, on our end, or at least partially canceled. But the potential for another staged incident at sea will be exploited as a pretext for war remains a potential threat. And again, this when this happens, most likely this will be World War III. And we've talked a lot about the World War III scenarios and how that's all going to go down in times past. So uh, it seems, at least at the moment, this is the if if, if something were to happen... Sparking World War III right now, most likely Ground Zero will be there at the Strait of Hormuz. So it is something pertinent to the day and times we're living in. So, again, not to be ignorant of Satan's devices is why I get into these subjects. Next thing, 
regarding the whole election process. Haven't said a lot about that as of yet. But I want to get into some information on that. So, again, we have the proper perspective regarding these elections. And again, this is a subject most people don't have a clue about. Uh, Christian or non-Christian. But the information's all there regarding the unbelievable vote fraud and rigging that goes on. And it's just getting more and more and more flagrant. But before I even play these, just today, I saw this. And, I mean, this just gives you an example of, okay, this will kind of set the tone for this next part here. And, again, I'm not... Obviously, obviously, if there could be one candidate that would get in there, obviously, the best one of the Republicans by far is Ron Paul. I understand I've issued warnings about him as well. Uh, Catholic connections, Freemasonic connections... Things of this nature, okay? But obviously, he is way better than anything, anyone else in that particular field. There's not even a comparison. And we're going to get into that today a little bit as well. So again, I'm just trying to have balance here. I just saw this this morning, though, and it's entitled, There's Something Very Odd About the GOP Primary Pre-Polling and Vote. It's time somebody says that somebody seems very something seems very strange about the GOP primary pre-polling and vote thus far. And this is the guy writing the article. He says, as I am a Ron Paul fan, I didn't want to seem like a sore loser after the odd Iowa results, where the failed no-name Senator Rick Santorum was catapulted to victory with very little tangible support. But now, how on earth could Newt Gingrich win South Carolina primary when the day before the vote, he had to cancel a major campaign because of lack of attendance? <laughs> and then he wins. He, he, you know, he wins South Carolina. The Associated Press reported, now this is the controlled media, they even reported, Newt Gingrich has canceled a campaign appearance in South Carolina because of poor attendance. The Republican presidential candidate was scheduled to speak to the Southern Republican leadership on Friday, but a campaign spokesman told reporters that he would no longer be appearing due to poor attendance. There were just a few dozen people in the audience at the College of Charleston's arena where the event was taking place. (laughs) Yet he wins. Meanwhile, on the same day, Ron Paul boasted over a thousand in attendance at his campaign event in Charleston, and they've got pictures and everything. 2012 Republican presidential candidate Ron Paul attracted more than a thousand supporters in Charleston today, demonstrating his strong support among younger voters and his overall popularity. Uh, and then it goes on to give specifics about that. <laughs> goes on to end by saying primary elections are are traditionally driven by enthusiasms. These are the primaries. Okay, pre-polling stuff. In other words, the average voter does not turn out for primaries unless they are really motivated by a certain candidate. So, could someone please explain to me how Newt Gingrich, who has virtually no ground game, no money, no fervent supporters, had to cancel an event the day before the whatever primary because due to lack of attendance, how could he have just won the South Carolina primary? Um... And then it goes on to say, could the conspiracy to keep Ron Paul out of the Oval Office be this coordinated, this pervasive? 
it's so flagrant right now what they're doing with the voting fraud. It's just almost like Newt Gingrich, of all people, has to cancel this event. All these other things that we just listed. Just thing the the thing just came out about his wife, who you know he wanted an op- open marriage, and and um, left one wife because she had cancer, left another one because she had like MS or something. Had to have a trophy wife to go on the campaign trail. Wanted an open uh, open marriage where you know they could just go and you know act like uh, alley cats and stuff like that. All this just came out. Right before all this happened, and yet he wins. It's almost as like the Illuminati's there saying, we want to really take the worst, most evil guy we've got. The, the one that people don't even like, this guy. He's such a slime ball. And, I mean, just looking at his past record, by their fruits you will know them, okay? His past morality issues, his past record in political office, all the things that go with that. We want to take the biggest slime ball we can take with somebody that most people can't even stand to look at. And we're going to have him all of a sudden surge to the top of the polls with no support, no, no, nothing, have to cancel things because he's got, and we're going to say he won. That's how flagrant they, quote, they are getting. Just to, I think, gauge public outcry. Seeing if they can pull that off. And seeing what kind of public outcry there, there's going to be. That's how in your face and flagrant that they, that they have gotten. Now, let's confirm this. Let's not just say it and just walk away from it. Let's confirm what we're talking about. Okay, so I'm going to play the first video here. Um, GOP vote fraud, smoking gun ban from CNN, Fox, NBC. Now, this... This information I've had for a long, quite a while, but it's just as pertinent today as it was then. This is from um, Bev Harris of Black Box Voting, uh, www.blackboxvoting.org, who has been blackballed by all networks. Her last CNN report was after Ms. Harris participated in the HBO documentary Hacking Democracy. And... Um, that was another thing that just totally blew apart and showed the vote fraud. And we're going to be looking at that. And nothing's changed. If anything, it's just getting worse. So let's just play this clip here real quick. All right, I'm going to go ahead and roll this now. This is Lou Dobbs. This is before he had to step down. Uh, and I believe he had to step down because he was getting a lot of pressure from higher-ups in order to do that. He was getting rather bold in his exposure of some of the things going on in the New World Order, and and I believe he had to just step down and and keep his mouth shut. This is before that happened, though. E-voting machines will count at least three out of every four votes cast in next week's election. But the e-voting machines may not be reliable. They may not be safe from tampering. If the voting process is not secure, then our very democracy is at risk. A new documentary, Hacking Democracy, is set to air on HBO Thursday evening, telling the story of writer-turned-voter activist Bev Harris. She joins us now, and along uh, with Bev, Hugh Thompson, Chief Security Strategist at the firm Security Innovations. Good to have you both here. Bev, we have been reporting here. I know you've been working on this issue for years. How, how dire do you think the threat is come Tuesday? 
I think Tuesday is going to be pretty rough. It may look okay on Tuesday, but in the 10 days following, I think we're going to find a lot of records that don't match up, and there's going to be a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion. Do you think, we hear from our viewers all the time, concerned in a partisan way about what will happen with these four, these machines manufactured by four basic manufacturers. Uh, they, they view these machines not only suspiciously in terms of, the, of the, the software that they use, the way in which they're designed and operated, but they think there's true partisan influence. Do you agree? Well, I think on both sides. You see, the, the problem with the machines is whoever has custody of the machines has a tremendous advantage if they choose to manipulate the election. And I, I just, I, I cannot imagine you how we got to a situation where the federal government is spending billions of dollars to buy machines that can be opened with uh, minibar keys uh, that can be tampered with. It's kind of scary when you kind of take the analogy of electronic voting machines with other machines that have huge consequences of failure that people put their trust in. Like when I get into an elevator to come to this interview, right, or when I go in an airplane, I believe that somebody that knows a lot about airplanes and knows a lot about elevators has checked these things out for safety and security. But the kind of flaws that we've found just sort of show that that checking really isn't being done. In, in the documentary, one example of the way these machines can fail uh, is a, a case of Susan uh, Berniker, a Republican candidate uh, from New Orleans, uh, as you well know, who ran for city council. Uh, let's take a look at what happened. This is where I came the day that the uh, warehouses are open to the candidates to inspect. So I came here with an old college buddy. He grabbed his camera. Then I asked him to show me how the machine worked. So I just started fooling around with the machine. And it's when I press the button next to my name, and then I look down and I see Mr. Gambaluka's name in the display when I press Susan Burnacker. Okay, so in other words, this lady went to, I guess, inspect one of these voting electronic voting stations, and I think she was running for office. She pressed her name on the electronic thing. They're, they're touch screens. Okay, and when she when she pressed her name, when she looked down to see the name that was actually being registered as far as the vote went, it was her opponent. This is how they rig the machines. They can rig it where if the opponent is the one that they they want to win, they can rig it where the opponent's always going to get at least like fifty one percent of the vote or whatever. Um, or get a majority vote. They have software programs that they literally put into the machines that manipulate the vote tally. And again, we're going to look at more of that very soon here, but I just wanted to kind of give you a little idea there. What do you think? Now, also, again, the links for these videos are all in the PDF that will be associated with the teaching for January twenty second, 2012. Uh, you can go there, watch the actual videos yourself, research it some more, and, and um, have that as, as uh, have that also at your disposal. Well, too common, unfortunately. Well, she obviously wasn't too pleased about that, <laughs> as, uh, as I can imagine. Yes, uh, as we all can imagine, uh, this has already happened in early voting uh, down in Florida, as uh, Kitty Pilgrim reported here tonight. How did we get to this to the point? that four basic manufacturers uh, making these machines uh, using uh, 
laboratories to test and verify their equipment that the, that the companies pay rather than independent federal agencies doing so, or even state agencies. How did we get here, you? You know, it's interesting that uh, folks that are actually verifying the machines, it's kind of like asking me, right? So my PhD is in mathematics, and it's like asking me to verify the flight worthiness of a Boeing 737. I don't know anything about planes or avionics, but I can say, well, it's got a couple of engines, it's got a big fin on the back, looks like it's good to go. There's somebody sitting in the front seat. And that's what's happening with voting machines. You have people that don't understand software security that are saying, okay, it adds two votes together. Let's push it off. So we really need new standards. And the idea that these companies with their proprietary software, and this is the part I really love, uh, are basically in control of the election because no one can verify what they're doing except the, their own uh, employees. I, what are we going to do? Well, one of the things, it's too late for this election to really do any fundamental changes. And so one of the things we need to do is really document the heck out of this situation. And, you know, in 2004, we had people telling stories. This time we need to be out there with video cameras and get public records so that we can really tell the story of what happens. Then we're going to need to solve it long term. Well, the Depot Corporation is not happy about this documentary, so we want to uh, issue uh, issue this request to HBO. Okay, now remember Diebold, or he called him Diebold. Remember that name? Oh, they said, the material errors and material misrepresentations are so egregious that HBO should pull the documentary. Failing that, a pre-airing rebuttal and disclaimer are not only appropriate, but also in the best interest of HBO and its subscribers. Now, we talked with the representatives of HBO earlier. They said they plan uh, to stand by the documentary. They have no plans to withdraw it. I'm sure that pleases you. It does anyone interested in uh, free speech and expanding the public knowledge and the public's right to know. They also say that uh, the documentary Depot refers to isn't the same one that HBO will air. I mean, yeah, what's going on? Yeah, here's a good on? thing. You know, if you're going to make a letter like that, it would be good to actually watch the documentary. That, that, that would be in other words, they hadn't even watched the documentary. I mean, if you're going to watch it, they say all these things are so egregious. They make these general, open, unsubstantiated claims without getting into any kind of specifics. Oh, okay, what's fraudulent about the documentary? I mean, specifically, let's get into the nuts and bolts. They will not do that. They'll just condemn it. Now, remember, this was, this was Bev Harris's last interview ever on a major network, CNN. This was the, after this, she was banned. And um, Lou Dobbs was gone not too long after this as well. So this is not something that the Illuminati, they might let it up there for one or two times, but they're not going to let it out there for public consumption. They're going to uh, get rid of, the, uh, rid, rid of this type of information so people are, are in the dark. The interesting issue is the documentary really isn't about a particular company or a particular voting system. It's more about, you know, we don't have standards to verify these things. And we should point out, uh, uh, we have been doing intensive reporting on this broadcast. We want to point out uh, that Diebold has not uh, ever accepted my invitation to join me here to talk about it, uh, which we find remarkable. Uh, we thank you both. We uh, wish you good luck, Bev. Thank you thank very, very much. much. coverage. So Diebold wouldn't, you know, he's like, okay, come on. Lou Dobbs is like, we'll, we'll interview you. We'll get yours. They, they don't even want to do that. They just want to condemn it, go on, and, and act as though we shouldn't even question some private company writing the software for the elections that can easily be rigged. 
Uh, no, let's let's go further with this. Now we're going to be looking at just a trailer for a movie called Uncounted. Now this is another, this isn't Hacking Democracy, which is what uh, you can go, I believe you can go up on um, YouTube and watch that. Hacking Democracy was the HBO. Uh, very, I mean, which is the, the documentary they were talking about. Uh, an incredibly well-documented, convincing thing. Then there's this, it's called Uncounted. A documentary about a voting system under threat. Uh, UncountedTheMovie.com. Still up there. Uncounted is an explosive new documentary that shows how the election fraud that changed the outcome of the 2004 election led to even greater fraud in 2006. It's getting worse, even though they're being exposed. And now looms as as an unbridled threat to the outcome of the 2008 election. This controversial feature-length film by Emmy Award-winning director David Earnhardt. And uh, we'll go ahead and roll that. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and roll this trailer here. This pretty much says it all. You can actually go... uh, I I don't know if you can watch this online. Maybe it's on YouTube. I don't know. Um, But the website is still up, uncountedthemovie.com. And this is the trailer. Voters turned out in record numbers and delivered an historic victory. Gates say the president sees his victory as a clear mandate. Everything we know about this election tells us the exit polls are right. George Bush lost this election. The scope of the theft is almost unfathomable. Well, it's on the precinct. So in other words, the exit polls, they're, they're, they're polling the people coming out of the thing and they're saying, okay, who did you vote for? They're, they're counting the number. And then the exit polls don't even remotely reflect what supposedly went on at the voter booth. Now, why would somebody come out of there and lie about who they just voted for? You know, if they were motivated to go there, they're not going to lie about that. So, again, this is just one more evidence of the extensive voter fraud going on. There was an 80% under That means 8 out of 10 people who came to the poll did not care enough about the presidential race to vote. I don't think so. The targeting of people of color is very computerized. We have testimony that some people stayed 12 hours in the line. And it was so blatantly obvious that the inner city machines were missing. Computers are the new 21st century threat to the voting process. With these machines, you can alter the outcome of the national election undetectably. There's this new breed of activists who no longer trust the way our election system goes. Mr. Curtis, are there programs that can be used to secretly fix elections? Yes. I wrote a prototype for President Congressman Tom Feeney that did just that. In the 2000 election, there were 180,000 uncounted votes in Florida. He had a very simple concept, that you should be able to verify your vote, just like you can verify the money you get out of an ATM machine. I put in that tape and start listening. It was smoking gun proof that Ebold was using illegal, uncertified software in their voting machines, that they knew it was illegal. It could change the outcome of every election. Whoever was in power could stay in power. What he found was an extraordinary threat to national security. The notion of stolen elections is something we assign to third world countries, but not to this beacon of freedom and democracy that we'd like to view ourselves as. Look at the pattern of the past few elections. We have every reason to believe that the 2008 election is going to be manipulated. 
Okay, and again, you can go up and see that. Uh, I give you the link there, and or uh, uncountedthemovie.com. Uh, look at that for yourself. Let's go further. Here, uh, this little section, how the U.S. vote can be stolen again. A very credible computer programmer explains under oath how he was hired by... Um, oh, let me just see here. I think I've got a little bit of text missing here. How he was hired by the Republican Speaker of the House in Florida to create a f- few lines of computer codes designed to easily and stealthily tamper with the voting results of electronic voting machines and central tabulators. And that can self-destruct if anyone tries to decompile the whole program to try to discover if it contains any such illicit codes. So it can actually self-destruct itself. So it's, it's, you, you can't even know that it was there. Uh, which makes the voting scam virtually undetectable. He also states that any significant discrepancy between the exit polls and official vote tallies is a sure sign there has been widespread voting fraud. So we're going to just play about three and a half minutes of this particular little video clip here. And this is the man that you heard briefly in the last um, video we just played. He's before a whole board of... um, Judges, this is in a courtroom, and uh, we're going to be hearing his testimony here. So I'm going to go ahead and roll this now. He's taking his oath. Mr. Curtis, would you please state your full name for the record? My name is Clinton. Where do you reside? Tallahassee, Florida. And what is your profession? I'm a computer programmer. Would you please speak into the microphone so the audience can hear your testimony? I'm a computer programmer. Mr. Curtis, are there programs that can be used to secretly fix elections? Yes. How do you know that to be the case? Because in October of 2000, I wrote a prototype for President Congressman Tom Feeney at the company I work for in Oviedo, Florida, that did just that. And when you say did, did just that, it would rig an election? It would flip the vote 5149 to whoever you wanted it to go to and whichever race you wanted to win. And would that program that you designed be something that elections officials that might be on county boards of elections could detect? They'd never see it. Mr. Would you answer that question once again? They would never see it. So how would such a, such a program, a secret program that uh, fixes the election, how could it be detected? You would have to view it either in the source code or you'd have to have a receipt and then count the hard paper against the actual vote total. Other than that, you won't see it. All right, Mr. Curtis, uh, if you had been asked, you or others with your professional expertise had been asked to design a protective program to that would protect the Ohio elections from against against such software to fix the election, could you have done so? If we've been asked to make a program that could fix the election, sure, anybody can do it. No, could you have designed a program or to a procedure or a protocol that would have protected Ohio against this kind of rigging? No, you have to look at the source code. You have to get probably programmers from both or all parties to look at the source code and determine if there's anything in there that shouldn't be there. I mean, it's a simple program. You're adding one 
to a person's total, it's a hundred lines of code tops. All right. If the last thing, are you aware of whether there was any protective action in Ohio against this kind of vote rigging through software? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. You were you were not asked to assist in the development of any protective system. Is that correct? No, I was not. In Europe, have you uh, reviewed at all the election results in Ohio? No, I haven't. Okay. Given the availability of such uh, vote rigging software and the testimony that has been given under oath of substantial statistical anomalies and gross dis- dis- differences between exit polling data and the actual tabulated results, do you have an opinion whether or not Ohio election, the Ohio election, presidential election, was hacked? Yes, I would say it was. I mean, if you're, if you have exit polling data that is significantly off from the vote, then it's probably hacked. And your testimony is under oath. Yes, sir. And the testimony you've given is true. Yes, sir. Thank you. Okay, sorry about the audio on that. It was the guy speaking, the judge speaking or whatever. His voice was a lot louder than uh, the computer programmers. But again, hopefully at this point, you realize that there, <laughs> I mean, the whole voting system in America is a scam and a fraud. I mean, if you have exit polls that are significantly different from what the, the voting uh, booth is telling you, then you know there's fraud. And he even verified that. And, you know, all the stuff that went on in Iowa with, uh, you know, Centorum and, and uh, these types of things just recently. I mean, it's so flagrant what they're doing. That That's just... This is just one of the ways they're rigging and scamming and, and stacking the deck. Just one of the ways. You know, you don't... There's other ways they can do it. They can, you know, lose uh, precincts. They, you know, they, they can, you know... There, there's all kind of different ways they're accomplishing this beyond what we're even talking about here. So, going further with this train of thought... Uh, and again, the, one of the reasons I do this as well is that uh, over the years I've heard a lot being in different churches, you know, uh, bless God, you know, if you don't, you don't get out there and vote, then keep your mouth shut. You don't have any right to say anything about nothing. You know, I've heard that many, many a time. And it's like, well, what if your vote doesn't even count or matter? What about that scenario? And that is the way, particularly, I'm not saying that every little local election this is going on, okay? But at the higher levels, it's a given. It's a given. And this is why I say anybody that's in that position of high-level political office, you know, they're there typically for a reason. And they didn't just get there by accident. I mean, when that you know, actually became the case where voter fraud was the norm rather than the exception. I don't know what the date was. I don't know. It's probably been a transitional thing. But it's just so flagrant nowadays. I think we need to be made aware of of that dynamic and pray specifically against that wickedness because it is wickedness. It is evil. You know, and I don't know, other than through prayer, I don't know how you would really, yeah, I understand there's proactive things that you can do, but uh, 
they're just getting more and more flagrant. No matter how obvious this is, and it's and again, what I just read you at the start of this little part that we're doing on the fact that Gingrich, you know, has no money, no support, had to cancel <laughs> the thing, the day, and yet he wins. I, I mean, that's how flagrant they're getting. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. Again, as darkness, as evil men and seducers are waxing, meaning growing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, as the spiritual climate is getting darker and more evil, this type of stuff is going to become more commonplace. And the only way I really know of to truly offset it, offset that is through prayer. And the Bible does predict it's going to be this way. Um, but again, these are Satan's devices that we need to we need to uh, be made aware of as well. Because some people out there thinking their vote really counts, you know. Most of the time it's not the case. So, the next article, Bain Capital owns Clear Channel. Um, this is from the Amer- End of the American Dream blog. Uh, what if Republican presidential candidates could just buy the support of just about every major conservative talk show host in America? Well, it may not be as far-fetched as you think. Clear Channel owns more radio stations, 850, than anyone else in the United States. They also own Premier Radio Networks, the company that syndicates the radio shows of Rush Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, and Glenn Beck, among others. Needless to say, Clear Clear Channel basically owns conservative talk radio in the United States. So who owns Clear Channel? Well, it turns out that Bain Capital is, is one of the primary owners of Clear Channel. Yes, you read that correctly. The company that Mitt Romney ran for so long is one of the and is one of the big bosses over virtually all conservative talk radio in America. Of course, Mitt Romney is not running Bain Capital anymore. He's a quote retired partner, but he still has a huge financial stake in Bain Capital. We're talking about millions of millions of dollars. If you doubt this, just check out our thirty-four page of Public Financial Disclosure Report, and there's a link here you can click on. So if you've been wondering why so many conservative talk shows are being so incredibly kind to Mitt Romney, look no further. Now here's another way they stack the deck. You know, they pump and push their candidate. Obviously that's mass media, and that's conservative talk radio. You know, Mitt Romney. Who's, I mean, I haven't even bothered to go into the atrociousness of, of either Mitt Romney or Gingrich or whoever, Santorum, Mitt Romney, the Mormon, Santorum, the Catholic, Newt Gingrich, the Lech. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, to me it's almost irrelevant. They're, they're, they're New World Order candidates that, and particularly Gingrich or, or Romney, it's just going to be a different flavor of Obama is all it would be. Is all it would be. They're establishment candidates. They're there for a reason. They've been pre-positioned in that spot for a reason. And that's what we, we need to be made aware of because I don't think the vast majority of people in the United States get that concept. They don't get it. They don't understand. They're put there by the Illuminati for that reason. They create the problem and they give us the solution. The problem at this point right now is Obama. Okay, he's the big, he's the, he's the bad guy. He's the guy we've got to rally to get out of the White House. They've created that problem, and now they're going to create their solution. Now, whether, whether, they're, um, whether he's going to be out of there, I don't really know. I, I don't know. Uh, 
but <laughs> if it's if it's Gingrich or if it's Romney, it's it's just going to be an extension. It's the Hegelian dialectic, problem, reaction, solution, and they're going to and this would be their version of the solution. So uh, let's go further here. The media in the media world, there is a very clear understanding that you simply do not bite the hand that feeds you. Some of the most prominent conservative talk radio shows are earning tens of millions of dollars a year. If you were making tens of millions of dollars a year, wouldn't you be very careful to avoid offending your bosses? The deal in which Bain Capital became one of the owners of Clear Channel was initiated just a short time before Mitt Romney's first run for president. Hmm. The following comes from Wikipedia. On November 16, 2006, Clear Channel announced pr- plans to go private, being bought out by two private equity firms, Thomas H. Lee Partners and Bain Capital Partners, the one that Romney was um, ran for quite a while, for an $18.7 billion. Ah, it's just chump change, you know? $18.7 billion. The deal was finalized in 2008. Today, Bain Capital is still one of the primary owners of Clear Channel. One of the subsidiaries of Clear Channel is Premier Radio Networks. Premier Radio Networks distributes a whole host of other conservative talk show radios, such as Michael Savage and Mark Levin, that are not part of the Premier Radio family. And again, they go out of their way to call anybody that... I've just driving around, having this stuff on in the background. Ron Paul supporters are, are nuts. They're kooks. They're whack jobs. He's a whack job. Basically, that's what they're, they're... It's just a foregone conclusion. And that's another way they manipulate public sentiment and thought and, and you know, unelectable, this type of stuff. And, and so this is... They don't go about it just by rigging the votes. They they rig the game in a whole host of ways, and that's what, why I'm going over this today. I think we should be made aware of this type of information. Now, here's another um, viewpoint that I received, and um, this was uh, a guy named Tom Freeze, and he said... And this was he didn't he didn't address this to me. It was it was a it was a email I got forwarded to me. But I thought he brought up some good points. Uh, and it was entitled "Voting Scam in Iowa." And he goes on by saying, "Ron Paul is not intended to win. Ron Paul was picked to run by the Jesuit Knights of Malta run CFR, only in order to reveal to the papacy just how much potential opposition there might be in America against the Pope's new world order." Okay. Well. I don't quite go that far into everything as a Catholic conspiracy, like some do. I think, you know what I think? I think it's a satanic conspiracy. I think you got Satan at the top of the food chain, and you got his fallen angels, and his demons and devils and minions below him, emanating and operating through the inhabitants of planet Earth, the Illuminati most likely being at the top of the food chain, Rothschild being the top family of the 13 families, and then you have, you know, and again... The Pope, the Catholic Church, again, we've got into that a lot in recent weeks. I've been exposing them. Am I just going to blame it on that one particular thing? No. I'm just, I, I, I really believe it's a global, satanic conspiracy. And not to say that what he's saying, there's not a huge element of truth. Okay, I just like to 
have a little more broad brush approach or look at that. So going further, he goes on to say, the scamming will continue. The Knights of Malta control mainstream media will continue to marginalize him. The papacy will never allow Ron Paul to be president. If by all attempts to marginalize Ron Paul in the press and to scam the votes, Ron Paul becomes president, he will then be JFK'd. Meaning assassinated by the papacy just as the Kennedy boys were. Ron Paul has the same stated goals as Kennedy. Kennedy, although Catholic, went after the Jesuit Federal Reserve. Kennedy went after the CIA. He also wanted to bring us back to a, uh, I think by going after the Federal Reserve, to bring us back to an actual monetary system that was either uh, and or gold or silver backed, which we don't haven't had that since, well, really 1968 is when we had the last amount of silver in the coinage. Um, that was actually like half dollars and dollars. But anyway, going further, uh, let's see here. So they're saying if Ron Paul did become president, he'd just be killed anyway to be assassinated. Uh, the Kennedys tried to restore sound money and to cut out the Jesuit bankers. Kennedy and Bobby went to war against the Pope's mafia. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not saying that I buy into everything that he's saying here, but I guess I'm trying to, I'm reading this to kind of give you another perspective and to kind of look at the big picture here, okay, as to why things happen. Uh, Ron Paul even wants to stop the Roman Catholic Mexican invaders from flooding into the country. Rome won't risk a Ron Paul presidency, and Ron Paul, if elected, has no more hope of survival than did the Kennedy boys. If Ron Paul miraculously hurdles all the obstacles that Rome's boys have put in his way and becomes president and actually does what he pledges to do, the Pope's boys will take him out, just as they did Kennedy at high noon, with cameras rolling in full view of the world, and nobody will go to jail. True, they did. I mean, again, I'm not going to just all blame it on the Vatican, but most likely, yes, they played a very large part. And yes, they did it just like he said. So, that's what they do. Then he goes on to say, I reiterate, the only reason the Jesuit Knights of Malta run CFR picked Ron Paul to run is so that the Vatican could accurately gauge the potential resistance in this country against the Pope's New World Order. Great point. Great point. And again, I do believe that's a big reason why they have allowed Ron Paul to run. They're gauging. They know what the true numbers are. They, the powers that be, whatever you want to refer to them as, the elite, the globalists, the whatever, Knights of Malta, CFR, Pope, Jesuit, whatever, they know what the true numbers are. Regarding Ron Paul. They're doing this to accurately gauge potential resistance in the country. They're seeing how dumbed down the sheeple people are. I think there's been more of an awakening, though, regarding this particular issue. Because of alternative media. And I don't think they like that. And what it's causing them to do, it seems to me, is get more flagrant with what they're doing. Like, again, what I just talked about, (laughs) Newt Gingrich winning South Carolina. How in your face can you be? Uh, Going further, he was picked to be a, quote, also ran merely for data collection purposes. Alex Jones doesn't comprehend this. And even if he did, he wouldn't dare talk about it, or he would lose at least 25% of his listeners. He'd probably lose more. I've had a lot of people, you know, how dare you say, (laughs) okay, 
Here's a 35-page, or I think it's at least 35, might be 50-page document I've got on Ron Paul. Okay? I'm not even going to get into all that stuff today. But it's a lot. I mean, it's overwhelming. Okay? So, again, cursed be the man that trusteth in man that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Actually, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. That's right from God, Jeremiah seventeen five. So um, you got to really be careful about who you're putting your trust in, especially in today's day and age. And you're not to put your trust in man; it's the Word of God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So um, going further, uh, he's saying Alex Jones with at least twenty five percent of his listeners and the Catholics of this country would launch a demonization campaign to get him off the air, just like they've done to me, the man writing the article. And together with the 25% Roman Catholic population has added the majority of who he refers to as ecumenical evangelibellies. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. Who now love the Pope too. Great point, Tom. I have never... In my life, since I've been a Christian, seen such an exodus for, let's use his term, ecumenical evangelibellies that are swarming to kiss the Pope's ring in his boots. I mean, it's like this exodus I'm seeing. People going over to Rome. I mean, and the more stuff that comes out showing how wicked and evil and perverse they are, the more people want to go toward it. And we haven't even seen the signs and lying wonders and miracles and all that stuff that's really going to kick into high gear when the Antichrist and the false prophet ramp it up. We've never, we've really seen nothing yet. So, wow. I mean, there's this gigantic move of top ministries that are not so subtly pointing their listeners to Rome. I just did that big thing on Tom Horn last week. Flagrant. Flagrant. I have had nobody rebut my teaching on Missler or Tom Horn. Now, they may want to demonize me and dismiss me. No, no, no. Go through my PDFs that I put out and rebut them point by point. Can't be done because it's their words. They're the ones pointing people, and it's not just them. It's the, it's a ton of people. It's, a, hey, televangelism. It's just like politics. Do you think that they got into those positions of power by accident? The New World Order controls the religious denominations of planet Earth. And they're all going to be going back to their mother whore, Rome, pretty soon. And they're doing it right now. And they're not so subtly coming out now and pointing people back to Rome. I saw a lady last night, some preacher, pastor, wear the pants woman that was on stage, I had never even seen her before, and she had all these groups on stage of these different women. And one of them was like United Methodist, one of them were Lutheran. Now these are ones that have that have come out of Protestants. They came out of the Catholic Church originally. Protestant Reformation. 
And then she had a group of Catholics right there along with all of them. And then one of them was like Baptist, which really technically did not come out of the Catholic Church. And then some other non-denominational one there. But she had the Catholics right in the middle. And they were there right with all the other women. And she was so pleased as punch that they were all there together, yoked up, one big happy uh, ecumenical, as he would say, family. The Bible says, be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what communion hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and Christ with Belial, or the devil? I mean, you're getting really flagrant when you're starting to bring Catholics up on stage and embracing them and saying, oh, we all worship the same God, and we all believe the same, basically the same tenets. Well, I guess they do. But it's another gospel. It's a gospel based on works. It's a gospel based on lying signs and wonders many times. It's a watered down, lukewarm gospel of man's creation, essentially. And I'm seeing it more and more and more. People going toward Rome. And it's not just one sect of Christianity. It's like pretty much all of them to a certain degree. Some are more aggressive than others. And I think that's why I've been focusing in so much on Catholicism lately. Because I really see this happening. Really in your face. Flagrant stuff. And so, he says, and together with the 25% Roman Catholic population is added the majority ecumenical evangelical bellies who now love the Pope too. Alex Jones would be toast and Alex Jones won't risk it. I do every day and every night. Well, you and me both. <laughs> I mean, I don't do it every day and every night because I don't have a radio show every day and every night. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, I wanted to give that because I think we really needed perspective going into these coming elections. I'm not going to keep harping on that every week. But I think to say it at least one time and say, okay, listen, we need to have perspective on this particular issue. How a lot of people say, well, can I do an expose on... Romney and on this and on that and it's like, oh yeah, but you have to understand the game is so rigged, it's so stacked when you start to look at the big picture, then that becomes the emphasis, looking at that not the individual candidates, because they're they're there put by the New World Order anyway now relating to this particular subject we're going to go ahead and go a little bit further here and um, uh, yeah, I'm going to do this article real quick and then we'll, we'll break for part one Joel Osteen, our favorite, who says Mitt Romney is, quote, a believer in Christ like me. Well, yeah, they do worship the same Christ, I would imagine. It's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible, that's for sure. Um, So in that particular case, it's actually a true statement. Uh, Joel Osteen, pastor of America's fastest-growing megachurch, has reiterated his opinion that GOP presidential hopeful Mitt Romney is a believer in Christ like me, and that the former Massachusetts governor's confession as Jesus as the Son of God is, quote, enough for him. Uh, Osteen, senior pastor of Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, told CBS Charlie Rose Monday morning, quote, What I see about Governor Romney is that he says, quote, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God, he's raised from the dead, and he's my Savior. I see him as being a believer in Christ like me. And that's enough for you, Rose questioned. 
And Osteen says, that's enough for me. There are differences in all religion. I realize that Mormonism is different from Christianity, but you know what? He's a man of faith and values. And to me, that's strong. End of quote. Mr. Mealymouth speaks again. Mitt Romney, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the Mormons, has been a source of controversy this campaign season and has, has attracted strong reactions both in support of and against his Mormon cult belief system. Now, I've done a whole teaching on the Mormonism and a whole teaching on Joel Osteen as well. Should have put that here too. Uh, Mormonism exposed. I got the link here. I, I'm gonna after this. I'm gonna stop and insert the one about Joel Osteen I did as well. Uh, Mormonism. Just to give you a little brief history. Mormonism, known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with headquarters in Salt Lake City, Utah, was officially founded in 1830 by Joseph Smith. Um. Smith claimed to have a personal visit from God the Father at the age of 15, who introduced him to Christ Jesus, who then supposedly told him to not join any church because they were all wrong, and that all Christian church doctrines were an abomination. Joseph Smith, who was, uh, I guess, wrote the Pearl of Great Price at 19, which is one of their holy books. The Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, and the King James Bible are their three Holy books, supposedly. Okay, but you know which ones always take precedence when you have that garbage going on. It's not the Bible. It can't be the Bible. Because a lot of their supposed, quote, holy books contradict the Bible. So whenever that happens, the standard rule of thumb for all of these cults is, okay, we'll ignore that portion of scripture and we'll just take whatever cult belief system we are taught. Going further, after Smith's murder... Most likely from the Freemasons he had stolen their secrets from and incorporated into the Mormon cult. That's, that's right. He stole the secrets of the Freemasons because he was a Freemason. And he incorporated them into his own cult. But see, you can't do that. You take all those blood oaths in the Freemasonry. Remember? You know, I allowed my brain to be exposed to the elements and my feet to be flayed and all this fun stuff. These fun oaths they take. Well... Sometimes, they'll actually come after you and, and enact those things. So, again, he was murdered in 1844. Brigham Young then took the cult to Utah. The Mormon church currently claims it ranks fifth among the largest 25 U.S. denominations. Many do not know that, quote, Mormon prophets have long taught and believed that Jesus was married and practiced polygamy, meaning multiple wives. Did you know that? And I give you a link here you can click on. Among the many blasphemous quotes from, jo quotes from Joseph Smith, he said, quote, God made Aaron to be a mouthpiece for the children of Israel. And he will make me, meaning Joseph Smith, to be God to you in his stead. And the elders to be a mouth for me. And if you don't like it, you must lump it. End of quote. Wow, there's no pride or arrogancy there. None. I mean, yeah, I'm sure God could use somebody that's so demon-filled and, and possessed to the toenails with devils as this devil. No, Satan could use him, though. And he did mightily. Uh, and I give you the, the, uh, the actual source for that quote here. Uh, while Br Brigham Young stated the following, Quote, I have not read the Bible for many years. I used to read it and study it, but did not understand the spirit or meaning of it. <laughs> and this is the guy leading their cult. Uh, Brigham Young obviously did not understand the Bible, and neither do any of the other Mormon prophets. 
Again, click on the link if you want to see the full expose. It's going to be on about page, probably once I get the table of contents put in here, about page 7 of this 29 PDF for, 29 page PDF for January 22nd, 2012. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and insert this other teaching I've done on Joel Osteen into the PDF. And then when I come back, we'll go ahead and continue uh, into part 2. So God bless you, and we'll see you in part 2. Scott Johnson's weekly audios are available for free 24-7 on the internet at contendingfortruth.com. That's C-O-N-T-E-N-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-T-R-U-T-H dot com. Please help us continue this work. To support this ministry, our mailing address is Scott Johnson, 2nd Line, 450 Conover, C-O-N-O-V-E-R, Boulevard West, Number 202, Third Line, Conover, North Carolina, 28613. Or on the internet, PayPal can be used at contendingfortruth.com. Thank you, and may the Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you.